This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it cannot be imploded by my co-host John Syracusa. I'm Dan Benjamin. Today is January 20th, 2012. This is episode number 51, just like Area 51. We've got two sponsors we want to thank now and later while the program is going. VidMeUp.com, really cool new video publishing platform, and Stripe.com, full stack payments. I'll tell you more about them again as we continue. How are you, John Syracusa? I'm doing just fine, Dan Benjamin. And you're still in recovery from our epic Goodfellas uh, 5x5 at the movie show that we recorded on Monday of this week. That didn't take too much out of me. It's not like the Empire Strikes Back episode where it ended at 3 a.m., so. Well, we didn't start. I mean, it, there was no way it could have ended at 3 a.m. We started at noon. It could have. <laughs> really? We wanted, to go, we wanted to go frame by frame. <laughs> and there were we were talking to each other on uh, Twitter saying, oh, man, we forgot to talk about this one scene. We got to talk about this other scene. And, it, it, you know, I... It was. It wound up being like a, th- a three-hour, fifteen-minute show, and uh, and somehow we still managed to miss a lot of stuff. Yeah, and then people would tell us about things that we didn't. Or at least I didn't even know about. As I imagine, if we had more knowledge, then we would have gone on even longer. Yeah, yeah. There's it's still still so much that we didn't cover. I don't think we'll do a follow-up. I don't think. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying we won't have follow-up. I'm saying. It's likely we won't, we'll never do a follow-up type of show, but... No, no. But that one... It's got to stand on its own. Yeah. Uh, But if you're wondering what we're talking about, you can go and listen. I I highly recommend you do go and listen to this movie show. Uh, And that that is in the show notes. You can go to 5by5.tv slash hypercritical slash 51. And uh, all of the links that we mentioned during the course of this program, including self-referential links such as go listen to our Goodfellas episode. They're all going to be there in the show notes. And uh, we want to say thanks to the helpspot.com guys for making that possible. Best help desk software in the business. So this, this show though was so much fun to record. It was great to see you not bashing something for a change. It was thrilling. Well, you know, I had a little Star Wars episodes and the Pixar episodes on the incomparable. I'm, I'm not always bashing things. The audio is out there. If that's what you're looking for. And the audience is listening. Yeah. So what are our topics going to be for today? What are we talking about? Follow up well, first. Well, you know, I was planning last week, I was planning uh, to make this a shorter show. Because I think these shows are just getting out of control and we need to, I need to tighten it up. It's my personal goal that I wanted to try for something shorter. And Okay. It's, it's kind of like one of those... Uh, Would you say this things? is a New Year's, New Year's resolution? No, no. It's more like, uh, my analogy is like a sports analogy. I, one of the, I played tennis as a younger man. Uh, and in tennis, or any sport really, you find, say, say you're like hitting the ball a little bit late. Right. Right. And you're trying, like, I can't, I can't stop hitting the ball late. Like on my back end, I keep, I keep hitting the ball late. Uh, well, the, the way you try to do that is you say, all right, well, try hitting it too early. Don't try to hit it the right way because that's not working. Try hitting it like way, 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 way too early. Make a mistake in the other direction. And sometimes it's even hard to do that. You're like, oh, sure, that's no problem. I'll find I'll now intentionally hit it too early. It'll go way off to the right. It'll just be a big mess. Uh, and you find that you can't even do that. Or maybe when you try to hit it way, way too early, it, you hit it exactly right. You know what I mean? You got to overcompensate. Uh, so I said, okay, next show, I'm going to try to end the show like way too early. People are going to be like, that's it. You're done. That's all. You know, just like 
very little follow-up, one short topic that I think will last me five minutes. I'm going to end the show early. Uh, and then with the hopes that then that would, would produce a show that's on time. But of course, I had forgotten about the Apple event <laughs> during this week. Mm. And so that's kind of out the window. Uh, but I still, I'm still going to try to tighten things up going forward. Because I do want to actually eventually have a show where we go, okay, so that's all you've got? Jeez, that's not even an hour. Like, I want, I want that You're to looking, that's your goal. That's your New Year's resolution is to have... It's not a New Year's resolution. A show just, or... just because the past few shows this year have been a little bit long and I want to, want to tighten up. But unfortunately, with the news this week, that's not going to happen. Uh, but we've got plain old follow-up to, uh, to go through here. Just a little... Oh, God, I can't even remember what show this was. I think it was we were talking about controllers and we got off on this tangent about maths and one of the follow-ups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I think the and, last the last two episodes have, in one form or another, we've talked about maths. Yeah. Plural. And I was trying to come up with a word that encompasses all of the English-speaking people who say maths. And I, I kind of narrowed it down to saying that the people who live on those islands to the north, actually the northwest, we were corrected by some people, of, of France. What's the What's the word for all those people? Uh, and many, 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 many people send me this Con Gregory Palmer Gray, cgpgray.com, uh, has a video explaining all the different parts, uh, United Kingdom and, and Ireland and England and Scotland and the crown and all, all these things. Uh, and I had seen that video uh, when it was originally put out. It was uh, the beginning of, of 2011. So I knew that video existed. But once you watch that video, you'll, you, I think you'll understand why. I didn't retain all the knowledge contained in it because it is quite dizzying and confusing. And once, you know, for the many people who sent me this video, in fact, the man himself who made this video sent it to me on Twitter, along with many other people. And immediately I saw someone respond to him and say, you know, you got something wrong in that video of yours. So it's very difficult. (laughs) No matter who you are, even if you've made what many people consider to be the definitive, humorous, entertaining, comprehensive uh, video and Venn diagram explaining all these terms to people who don't know them, someone's always going to complain about it. So, I put them both in the show notes. If people want to learn how confusing uh, the different terminology is, they can go for it. And the, the upshot was that the only thing, the, the consensus was that if you're going to call those people anything, go with like British. British. See, and and, and here, in, I would have thought that British would have been like the wrong term. That would have been. It the, is the wrong term in many cases. And people and a vocal minority did complain about that. But there's, there's no perfect term. And people generally... Uh, that that was like the least objectionable thing for foreigners to do. You will you will offend some people apparently. Right. So I'm just going to stay away from that whole region of the world because it looks like a big mess over there. Yeah, that won't that doesn't offend anybody. <laughs> no, I, I love it when on, I watch a lot of like a travel programs and I love it when they have travel programs and they're in that region of the world and they subtitle people who are speaking English. That's when you know you get into the good stuff. Right. Then you know that even even though we all share this common language, you'll never understand it, this, yeah, this version of it. I feel insulted when they do that. I'm like, come on, I can follow this <laughs> accent. You know, I th- it's not so much the accent. It's like when some they're talking like Cockney rhyming slang or something where, where I understand all the individual words, but I still have no idea what they're saying. Uh, yeah. Uh, a, a gaming follow-up. I mentioned something about uh, some vague memories I had from gaming magazines I must have read years ago about the Dreamcast, uh, Microsoft being involved with Sega for the Dreamcast effort. And then I said I thought they, they wanted it to run some version of Windows, and I don't know if it ever did. Uh, so, oh, God, I should have got this person's first name. I always get the Twitter handle. E. Mechray, E-M-E-H-R-K-A-Y. 
uh, Twitter to tell me that the Dreamcast did run Windows CE. CE was Consumer Electronics, I think it stood for. Uh, and the idea was that you could run Windows or you could run Sega's OS uh, for your game. And very, very, very few people opted to run Windows, I'm assuming because it added extra overhead and it wasn't what console developers were used to. This was long ago, right? Uh, so, yes, the Windows, a version of Windows actually did run on the Dreamcast and there was a Microsoft collaboration there. It wasn't just a pipe dream. Uh, I talked about the Classic Controller, the Nintendo Classic Controller, which is the alternate controller used to play virtual console games on the Wii, like uh, NES games and SNES games. And I talked about how it would not be suitable for GameCube games. Well, not only is it not suitable, it's not even possible to play GameCube games on the Classic Controller. I, I don't have a Classic Controller, which is why I didn't know this. Uh, I thought, like, why have those analog sticks in there? It's supposed to, you know, I figured that would be for, for GameCube games. I'm like, boy, I would never play a GameCube game with... Uh, with those analog sticks. Well, I don't have to worry about that because you have to plug in an actual GameCube controller to play GameCube games. You can't use the classic controller, which kind of makes sense when you think about it because the when you're playing GameCube games, the thing turns into a GameCube. It ignores everything. It ignores the Wii mode. It ignores... That's why to stop playing a GameCube game, you have to, like, turn the thing off. You can't use... You know, you can't hit the Wii remote home button. MMN, you come up or anything. You've just basically transformed your Wii into a GameCube. So, yes, the classic controller won't work. Uh, and that's all the follow-up I have. I didn't I didn't go trolling through my email. I'm sorry if you sent in some email. Uh, I will try to put that all into the uh, next week's show if I can. Was there any uh, particular feedback email you wanted me to address? Because you see most of it. No, I mean, I think, you know, I think you do a good job of identifying, calling out the critically important ones. We, we did, I think, since, I'm just looking at this, in the last... What's today? Today is the 20th. I think since the last show, I mean, there's been a, there has been a lot of feedback coming in about this show. A lot. Which one? The Goodfellas show or the... This the show. Controllers? This particular show. The Hypercritical. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, the control... People are still going on about the yeah. controller stuff. Everyone's got a controller that they think has been slighted by history and is much more significant than it gets credit for. I mean, just today, someone came in about the Sidewinder, uh, Microsoft Sidewinder that had accelerometers in it. Uh it was like a PC controller. I mean, uh, all these people are basically right. Like, they're, every one of these things has some place in history and has some interesting innovation. I think people get a little bit too hung, including me, get a little bit too hung up on who did what first and who is the real leader and stuff like that. Even even though we know it's silly and not important, we all, especially if you grew up during the console wars. Yeah. Like, I was always saying, oh, you look at Sony uh, uh, stealing its innovation from Nintendo, right? It's just as bad as the people who are saying, well, Nintendo is stealing their innovation from Microsoft because the Sidewinder had accelerometers in the controller long before it was a glimmer in Nintendo's eye. So Microsoft is the real innovator. We're all, a, a, you know, our younger selves were all console fanboys, and it's hard to snap out of that. I, I, in case this isn't clear, I'm doing most of all this stuff in fun. Like, I don't have, I'm, I'm not serious. A lot, a lot of people think it's deadly serious, and you, you should not be so insulting to PlayStation players and the people who love that it's all in fun from this end. I'm sorry if you're, if you continue to take this very seriously, uh, it may seem like, uh, I'm taking it equally seriously, but I'm not. <laughs> the chat room says, can't we just, oh, can't we all just can't agree all the consoles get... ruined everything? No, we can't even agree on that. We can't even agree. All right. So topics for today. Inevitably, I will have a tiny, tiny brief, maybe. Uh, say about the iPhone mute switch. Okay. 
Brief by whose definition? Would you like to try to speed summarize this, or would you like to try to speed summarize it? Because I know you like to give people context, like, well, so what if they don't listen to all the other shows? Well, I, I, and I have to tell you that I said that on uh, on the last show that I did with Marco. Uh, we do a show called Build and Analyze. Marco Arment and I, he's the guy who does Instapaper. And uh, we do a weekly show over there. And we were talking about the mute switch, and he said, I, he said something, I'm paraphrasing. I can't believe there's anybody in our audience who doesn't not not only doesn't know about the mute switch issue, but who isn't almost probably already bored of it. And then we proceeded to talk about it anyway for an hour. But this is the issue, just in case. And by the way, I will I will add that I, I got probably a dozen emails from people saying, thank you for providing the context. Uh, I didn't know about it. I do live under a rock. And I appreciate you shining some light under that rock for me. So the, the speed summary of this is uh, on the side of, and we're talking specifically these days about the iPhone 4 and 4S, uh, just, just to kind of limit the discussion, right? Uh, there is a switch on the side of that. And it is, it is by Apple, it is called the ringer slash silent switch. And by everybody else, and probably a lot of people at Apple, it is called the mute switch. And if you flip the mute switch to mute, the phone will vibrate and the phone won't ring if you get a call and most of the other applications won't make any sound. Some still do, including the alarm. And uh, apparently there was a a, a gentleman who was in the front row at a Philharmonic uh, performance, uh, had been handed a brand new iPhone right before the show. Uh, Someone had either he or somebody else had set it up for him. An alarm had been set. For some reason, the alarm then went off, marimba, went off during the performance, and apparently he was unaware that it was his phone that had been going off for several minutes, you know, just continuously going and going and going, uh, to the point where the Philharmonic conductor stopped the performance and waited for the person, which was this guy, to actually turn off their so that's the, that's the story. And the debate, the discussion, the thoughts on this are, well, if it's a mute switch, should it also mute the alarm or not? And there, of course, there is no right answer. Everybody has their own opinion. It's a great discussion. Um, John Gruber is in the opinion that Apple's is of the opinion that Apple's solution, which is the alarm still makes a sound, even if you flip the, the mute switch to mute, is the best implementation for the largest number of people. Andy Notko, I'm not speaking for him, but uh, he wrote two pieces on it, and I, I tend to agree with him in that mute should be mute, that it should work the way most of the other mute switches in the world work, which is if you mute it, it should mute everything. It's It actually should silence the whole device. And there's lots of people who disagree and agree in various reasons why, and that's as fast as I could probably summarize that issue. That was like when I say something's going to be brief and then I talk for 15 minutes. Right. But yes, it's... It's tough to pack along. So if you want to actually hear long, drawn-out discussions of this issue, uh, check out this week's talk show, this week's Build and Analyze. Uh, I don't, Andy didn't talk about it on his show, right? Uh, no, uh, we did not discuss that. We The no, last show we did, we talked mainly about the new Apple iBooks. Education yeah. iBooks uh, authoring thing. So these links are in the show notes if you want to hear it, uh, about them. Uh, I'm not going to rehash them all here. I have uh, one meta point and one additional point. So the, the meta point I want to make is we like to think when 
when we're all, you know, blogging about this stuff or anybody's complaining about it or whatever, even the, like the deep thinkers, the people who blogged about this, we're trying to like, we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out, is there, is there a way that's clearly better than the other ways? Uh, has Apple got it right or got it wrong? And we're not just doing like knee jerk. I don't like Apple, therefore Apple did it wrong. Or I do like Apple, therefore Apple did it right. Although many people will uh, accuse all of us of that. I think we're really trying to think about it. Everybody involved. And I think everybody involved had, you know, I forget who posted what first, but like then someone else will post something and that'll prompt more thoughts in someone else's head. And they'll, say, and they'll say, you know, I hadn't thought of that. So and then they'll build on it and they'll see if that changes their opinion. Like when you Gruber brought up that he hadn't thought about the hardware uh, overriding the software and that triggers more thinking in his head and he's reexamining. So I think we are we're all definitely being honest about this. And uh, the last time intellectually honest, that is and the last time I think this happened was with the Safari tabs, the toppy tabs. Remember those? Yes. Where the you know, uh, Apple released a beta of Safari that had the tabs like Chrome's tabs, right? They were even more so. Yeah, they were uh, they were very different from what we had. People, there was this was a huge, this was a very big deal when that happened. Yeah, and it was a similar type <laughs> of thing where it was a bunch of blogs all trying to figure out like, so what's the deal? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it indifferent? What are the pluses and minuses? You know, and a couple of the the first ones were knee jerk, like, oh my god, this is very different. This is horrible. They need to revert it back to the old way. But we all tried to, to figure it out. So this was a similar scenario. But uh, during all these activities, I think everyone, the readers and the writers alike, like to think that that we are assessing uh, an objective reality. Like this is the way the phone operates, which we figure, we figure out how it operates, you know, through trial and error or people figuring out this is this is how it operates. And let's consider that reality and see what the pluses and minuses are. And the same thing for alternate scenarios. Well, what if it worked like this? How would we feel about that? And the assumption is that that, you know, a set of a set of features and a behavior and then our opinion of it are, you know, are tied together. Like this, this set of behavior, I'm going to think about it and here's my opinion on it. This alternate set of behavior, I'm going to think about it and here's my opinion on it. And we all believe that you can move those around in time and it doesn't matter because we're, we're all we're assessing is the state of affairs or a potential state of affairs. We're not assessing anything else. In reality, I think... It's that's not quite true. We the history, the, the steps that brought us to that state are just as almost as important as the state itself. You know what I mean? So the, the, the thing I was thinking about is if if the iPhone from day one came with that little switch on the side uh, and Apple called it a mute switch and it was a hardware switch that like literally disconnected the speaker from the wires. Right. Say that was their their design from from day one. OK. And that at some point, uh, uh, it changed to the current behavior. I think that would make us feel different about the current behavior, despite the fact that the current behavior in both both places is the same. The only thing that changes is like, how did we get here, or what is the history? Like, what you know what I mean? Whereas all the discussion about this is like, let's let's think about these features, and no one says, well, do I feel this way about these features because of the the uh, the behaviors that preceded it is that is that influencing my opinion in any way and i think it is a big influence because had that switch always worked as a mute for just to give one example there would be a sizable contingent of people and, and an overwhelmingly strong feeling that although the you know we would assess the current behavior uh, uh on its merits we would say but the mute switch on the iphone is always meant to turn everything off therefore this change in behavior is a big change of what we're used to therefore it's not better you know what I mean? Like, 
even though the actual beha- current behavior would be the same, we would say, but we had all these years with, with the iPhone mute switch that always, it was it's called the mute switch. It turns everything off. And even though that's not convenient, and even though people are like, oh, I really want to use it as an alarm clock. That's great that you want to use it as an alarm clock, but, but man, that's always meant mute. And, uh, you know, there would be like a more of a rallying cry for keep it to be, you know, a true mute switch, right? And that, that doesn't make sense if you think about it uh, in terms of, oh, we're just looking at the current feature setting considering uh, how it fits people's needs. Because suddenly people's needs are, you know, all wrapped up in how it has always worked or mm-hmm. tradition, you right, know? Right, I think that is a, a big, big factor both in the in the toppy tabs in Safari and in this mute switch is the the history stretching out behind it and the potential history stretching out in front of it. So that's the only that's the only uh, meta point I have to make about this entire debate. Uh, the next time one of these issues comes up, I hope someone br- brings that up and goes through different scenarios. Would we feel different if it had behaved like this? Would we feel different if it had always behaved like that? You know what I mean? Would if it had always been a mute switch? Would people have been screaming and yelling that they're they're missing their flights because it doesn't operate as an alarm, or would they accept that that's how this thing works? You know, that kind of thought experiment is uh, very useful when considering features like this. Uh, now onto the actual topic itself briefly. I was trying to come up with a criteria by which to judge the behavior. And a lot of people were, were talking about how do we decide whether this is good? And it was all a lot. It's easy to, once you've decided what you think is the best behavior for whatever reasons, it's easy for a lot of people to say, and that's, uh, even though you can't satisfy everybody, this is the common case. So this is satisfying most people and people bring up evidence like, oh, well, there's been millions of iPhone users and this only happened to this one guy in the symphony and it's a rare scenario and it's optimized for the common cases and this is an exception. Uh, and everybody did that to some degree and you have to do that. That's the way you have to think about it, I think. But I wanted a better a, a better criteria than that because we just don't have enough information to be able to make judgments that it, well, is this the common case? We don't have a, sur- a representative survey of all iPhone users, you know. One story in a newspaper is sensational. It was the New York Times or whatever, and it gets a lot of uh, exposure. But we have no idea what the real frequencies of the use of these things are. Uh, and the the measure I thought was most applicable to this scenario is frequency of task, uh, the ratio of the frequency of the task versus the complexity of accomplishing it. And you want to do sort of in, in, in the Larry Wall slash Perl language design parlance, you want to do Huffman coding, which is where you make the most frequently occurring task uh, the simplest have the, the smallest number of steps, uh, and I think that is easier to get a handle on, because, uh, and that's what a lot of people were getting out in, in kind of a roundabout way. But they would just kind of say it by by fiat. You know, people don't uh, go to the the uh, the symphony that often. Therefore, this is not a big deal. Uh, and the 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 tests I was thinking of are how often do you have to change uh, are you in are you in a venue where the normal behavior of your phone is inappropriate movie theater symphony church you know whatever you know whatever thing it is that you that you do that's out of the norm that you have to oh I, it's the time when you go oh i remember my phone anytime they have an announcement about phones something up on a screen about phones someone over a loudspeaker talking about your phones how frequent do you see does that happen uh versus you know the complexity of when you get that tickler oh I got to do something with my phone that's out of the ordinary. How long does it take you to accomplish that thing? And how confident are you that you've successfully done it? And the other one on the other side of this, given the current behavior of the phone, is the people who use it as an alarm clock. How uh, how many people use it as an alarm clock? And if But the more important thing is, if you do use it as an alarm clock, how often... Uh, does do you does that happen? How often do you interact with it? And the thing about alarms, especially if you use it to wake up in the morning or something, is that they tend to be pretty darn frequent, like every morning. Right. You know what I mean? And so 
I think where I come down on this, not that it really matters what my particular opinion on, because what you said before is right. It really is a difficult problem. There's no perfect solution. But I think where I come down on this is that I started off pretty strongly with you and Andy, uh, but I started to shift as I thought about the people who do use it as an alarm. The, those special scenarios where you need to change the behavior of your phone, you're on an airplane, you're in a movie, you're in a symphony or whatever. Uh, I think the ideal scenario would be make make it possible to make the the phone behave the way you want in those situations, whether that's everything silent or whatever. And I don't care if that takes four or five taps because already airplane mode is like home settings, the airplane mode thing on. Right. We're all kind of OK with that, because unless you're like a business traveler who flies every single day. You're okay that it takes a couple of taps and swipes and launching an app and stuff to to engage airplane mode. I think we would all also be okay if there was a similar thing or engage some mode that has the appropriate behavior for you and that you're confident is really going to have the appropriate behavior for you for in your movie theater or in a symphony or whatever it is. Even if it's holding down the power button for five seconds and doing the swipe to shut the thing down, whatever it is, as long as as long as there's some way to with a series of taps that may be pretty complicated, get the phone into a state where we're all happy with it uh, for each of these settings. It's okay for that to be complicated. And that leaves the the much more frequent occurrence, I think, of, of the uh, the alarm scenario to be sort of the default behavior. The I'm going to use this alarm clock every single day, and every single day I don't want to have to, right before I go to bed, remember to do 17 swipes. Like you're putting in an airplane mode when you go to bed, that's right. too much. You shouldn't have to go through that number of swipes every single day before bed. Right. It, it right. should be should be simpler. Uh, this still leaves an open question of how many people use their thing as an alarm. Is this actually a common case or is it just a local vocal minority? We have a dearth of information here. We don't know the frequencies of these things. I just think that's, in this case, that is the correct criteria to use when figuring out how to design these features. And I think it's a criteria that Apple does use, to be fair. It's not like this is some great new insight. But that's, that's what I landed on as how do we decide what's good? Uh, frequency of use and complexity of, uh, of accomplishing the task. So that's it. Ha, I got through the mute switch pretty fast. Wow. Because yeah, really it was exhaustively covered elsewhere. And, uh, and they just had those two bits to add. And I, I will also add that you, your hardware overriding software thing, that was totally in the front of my mind and I'm glad you posted that about it. I'm glad you're, you're blogging again. Look at that. You writing a little blog post. Well, I that's didn't not... know where else to put it, you know. Yeah. I wanted, you... To, I wanted to put it out there before the show started this week so that... I could get a sense from the audience uh, what what their thoughts were. You know, you can ask somebody something on Twitter, but it's very hard to communicate. It's not like this is that complicated of a concept, right? But you you would struggle to communicate your thoughts on this in 140 or few characters. So I figured, okay, I'll, I'll put this thing out there. I'll see what people on Twitter say. And it'll also give my co-host an opportunity to see what I think just so that we can, you know, talk about it a little bit more. But I, I wouldn't... Hold your breath that there'll be more of those. Anytime what movie soon. is that? I got love to give. I just don't know where to put it. What movie is that? I thought it was Fargo, but when I looked for it once, it wasn't Fargo. Chat room can look that up. I, I don't. All right. Are you saying it the way? Because it sounds I'm like not, something mag, in Magnolia. Well. Someone like he's on the verge of a breakdown. Magnolia. Is that what it is? Saying. I think yeah, that's probably right. That's Magnolia. what I'm thinking it is. Yeah, I don't remember, remember which character. Was it Was it the same guy from Fargo? What's his name? Uh, May, uh, Macy? What's his name? The main character, the, the car dealer from Fargo. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but that's on the list of movies that I want to do for the movie show. William H. Macy. Some people say he's from Punch Drunk Love. And no, it's, it's... Some people, one person says Rocky Three, so we're off the... Uh, 
It's Quiz Kid Donnie Smith. The Quiz Kid. All right. Uh, let's not turn this into the movie line trivia show. So we now inevitably we must talk about iBooks author. Okay. I was. It's kind of a crash course in getting this, but this was just yesterday. And, and let's and do our let's do our first sponsor before you do it. That's a good idea. Can we do that? You need to unplug anyway, right? Yeah, go for it. Let me tell you about Stripe. Really awesome sponsor. I'm really excited about these guys. Full stack payments. Stripe makes it easy for you to start accepting credit cards on the web. It's primarily geared toward uh, somebody who's doing development, software development, creating an application, doing something like that. You always get to the point where you say, man, I really want to charge for this and I really want to, I, really, I want subscriptions or I want people to come in and, and buy this thing that I'm selling. Uh, how do you do it? Well, Stripe is the fastest way in the world to get set up so that you can accept payments. You don't need a merchant account. You just put in your bank account and a couple of other details and that's it. They have a REST API. You can also use native bindings. You're off. That's it. You're, you're ready to go. It is the, the cleanest, most simple API for this that I have ever seen. And I've been doing this stuff for a long time. They have a completely secure environment. Data never hits your servers. You're, you're, you don't have to deal with like a cumbersome third-party page when you want somebody to check out. And no, this is the main thing. You totally avoid PCI details because no credit card data even passes through your server at all at any point. You have questions about this. You don't know how it works. You can call them. You can email them. You can uh, join in their campfire and hang out with them and like ask the people in the company how something works if you need help. But uh, And they've cracked this. They've got recurring billing. They've got native support for plans. They get prorated charges. I mean, every metered billing, everything you want to do. It's all in there. Visit stripe.com. For more information, you've got to try this. If you're doing any kind of development, if you're building websites, whatever it is you're doing, it's a piece of cake. Stripe.com. Check them out. I think I talked about in a past show how PCI, what I thought about PCI compliance. I think you shared a little bit of that. Yeah. All right. I won't cover it again. You don't want to cover uh, it again? No. Just having someone else do it for you is good. Let's leave it at that. iBooks author. Uh, someone just posted in the in the chat room uh, KJ Healy's take on this stuff, which unfortunately I don't haven't had time to read because I'm first just seeing the link now, which is unfortunate because it's always insightful. Uh, but I do have some other notes on it. I, I did listen to your show where you talked about it with Andy, but what I didn't do is actually watch the presentation. Yet uh, I watched little bits and pieces of it, but I didn't watch it all the way through. Uh, I did watch the live blogs of it when it was going on, so I feel like I have a handle on the right. Uh, the nature of the announcement. Uh, so uh, I don't know which way to come with this. I guess we'll start with this application that they put out, iBooks Author. Right. Free application for your Mac. What does this thing do? I did download it and played with it a little bit. I actually also downloaded it on Snow Leopard because I was impatient <laughs> to get home on uh, and run on a line machine. And, and you can kind of get it. It does work. I was going to say, I thought it didn't work at all. No, it launches. I mean, you got to change the you know the PLS things around and, and to convince it to do. But it it runs. Uh, but it's interesting that it runs at all. You would think that it would just immediately crash because it would be referencing some library that doesn't exist or some API. But I think they did weak linking or whatever the uh, other uh, might have just been uh, capability uh, probing. Whatever thing that that they uh, do to make something run on ten six and ten seven, I think it's probably just got to be weak linking because when you run on ten six and you like select a toolbar item which I think maybe is supposed to produce a popover or something on Lion, but doesn't on Snow Leopard because the popover API isn't there. The program doesn't crash. It just does nothing. 
So it's interesting. I wonder if they were considering having it run on 10.6 or is this just falls out of the the technologies they use for weak linking to libraries that may not exist. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, don't run it on Snow Leopard. Run, run it on Lion. It, even though it quote unquote works on Snow Leopard, you don't want to do that. Uh, so most of the talk has been about what this thing produces at the end. You use the application, what features are there or not. Is it good as InDesign? Is it better than Pages? You know, you can drag a keynote presentation to it. You can do all this busy stuff, so on and so forth. In the end, once you've done all that and you're happy with what you've produced and you've conquered the program and figured out how to use it, you get out of it a, a .ibooks file. I don't know if it's singular or plural. But you, you get this thing that doesn't look like any other format if you were just to glance at it. So what, what can I do with this .ibooks file? Well, you can, you know, throw it on iTunes and put it on your iPad and people can read it on their iPads. They can't read it on an iPhone, just on an iPad. Uh, and you can sell it through the iBook store, in theory, or give it away for free through the iBook store. But that's about it. And that was the, the, the first thing that everyone was kind of upset about was that they were hoping Apple would make an authoring tool for eBooks. And Apple has not done that. They have made an authoring tool for the iBook store, which is different, you know? And then even above and beyond that, they've made an authoring tool that's geared towards making a particular kind of book or whatever. Um, now, the iBook store prior to this announcement, it's like, well, the iBook store uses EPUBs, right? So everyone knows that, you know, you can take those EPUBs and, you know, you can take an EPUB and send it out to the world. However, like, for example, the uh, my, my line article was available as an EPUB and you could read that EPUB in the iBooks reader. But you could also read that EPUB in anything that could read EPUBs. There's online readers for EPUB. There's... Uh, uh, some I think there's other uh, applications. Does Stanza read EPUB? I think Stanza does. does. Uh, other ebook reading app. It's an open standard. So there's a, a consortium. It's kind of like the W3C, but for ebooks uh, that defines these standards for for EPUB, and a whole bunch of different uh, vendors can write to it. Um, so what what the Apple's thing puts out is a .ibooks thing, which I think just like EPUB is like a zip files or, or whatever, you or, or uh, it's a container format with a bunch of stuff inside it. Right. If you change the extension to .epub, or even if you don't change it and just chuck on an application that understands EPUBs, they will, you'll see that inside there is something that looks a lot like an EPUB. It basically is. Uh, it's kind of like an, an EPUB in, uh, in all but name. And the current, the, the latest version of the EPUB is the EPUB 3, the latest version of the specification. I don't know if it's like completely ratified or done or whatever, but that's the latest one. This new format is, is mostly EPUB 3. If you look inside it and you know what an EPUB version 3 file looks like, you'll recognize lots of stuff there. So it's a bunch of HTML files, actually XHTML. It's actually XHTML5, which is the XML dialect of HTML5. Uh, but... And, you know, and you're like, oh, well, this is this is great. This is, you know, Apple made this proprietary thing, but it's kind of built on the standards basing. So it's not completely crazy. It's not like a binary format or it's not, you know, something completely proprietary that uh, that no one has any chance of understanding. Um, and, you know, they made their own MIME type for it, which is kind of weird. But once you see that, you know, the, the MIME type is like application slash X iBooks plus zip, you know, uh, why wouldn't they use the EPUB MIME format? Because I look at this container and it looks like an EPUB file. Well, they make their own MIME format as it's kind of a signal to the rest of the world that says, I know this looks a lot like an EPUB, but it's not. It's an iBook thing. Uh, and it kind of absolves Apple from the responsibility of making sure that what iBook's author outputs is readable by any other system that understands EPUBs. Because you can say, well, why were you trying to read that in insert application X? Uh, 
it's not an EPUB. But but it looks like no, it's not an EPUB. Look at the MIME type. Look at the file name extension. That's not an EPUB. It's a it's our own file type that happens to look very similar to EPUB, but it's right. not EPUB. Right. So there's it's a very clear signal that Apple's saying this application is just for making things for our store. And the fact that we happen to use uh, a lot of things that look like another format is like just you know don't look at the man behind the curtain. Who cares? Uh, now if you look at the contents of the thing, even though the format like EPUB uh, defines like what the directory structure is, what the file should be called, what, what they should contain, and what things you can use, uh, it looks like an EPUB until you start delving into the contents of them. Like for example, if you look into one of these CSS files, you will see tons of you know you're usually seeing vendor specific extensions like minus moz whatever. Uh, what is the Safari one? Is it minus WebKit? I think uh, it is. Yeah, on the CSS properties, you do minus and then some other word that's like uh, expressing uh, a vendor-specific prefix. Yeah, it's uh, it's usually dash WebKit. So like a box shadow would be like dash WebKit dash box dash shadow. Or... Yeah, and there's a great there was a great presentation uh, and uh, earlier I think uh, last year or two years ago at an event apart, someone gave a great presentation which I should have put in the show notes, but I just thought of now about how these vendor-specific extensions to CSS are a great thing because it allows browser vendors to experiment with features, features that are a part of a standard but haven't been ratified yet or experimental features or whatever. Uh, it allows them to experiment with them in a way that when they, whatever the outcome, whether they come to be ratified and become part of the standard or whether they go away entirely, you haven't produced the, you know, it's clear to both the browser vendor and the people authoring to target it that what you're messing with here is an experimental feature that you shouldn't rely on this. So they don't call it, you know, uh, text shadow. They call it minus WebKit, you know, text shadow. So it's clear that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's so clear that you're targeting just one browser and that this is obviously not a, a, an open standard that you can expect to work everywhere. Uh, and it does make for strangeness because if you wanted to do text shadow before it's like completely ratified, you'd have to do minus Moz, blah, 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 text shadow, minus WebKit, blah, 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 text shadow, whatever the hell the IEism for text shadow. And you'd have four different declarations, four different rules. And, the, you know, the CSS spec says just ignore any property you don't understand. So all the other browsers will ignore all the rules except for the one that apply to them. So sometimes you'd have to repeat yourself 15 different times to say something. Uh, so these, uh, these sort of looking like EPUB 3 type files that, that, that iBooks produces, are filled with tons and tons of stuff, uh, most of which is not in any CSS standard, current or speculative. Minus iBooks, you know, iBooks layout hint, uh, iBooks uh, strike through type, iBooks gutter margin left, iBooks gutter margin right, iBooks head height, tons and tons of rules. Uh, in some cases, and, and then, by the way, there's no standards compliant fallback. Like with the, with the vendor specific ones, like Tech Shadow. Now I believe Tech Shadow is in some ratified thing. So you're supposed to do all the vendor specific ones, and then the fallback for the standard compliance ones. These are all just a bunch of properties, some of which seem to have no analog in any spec anywhere, and there's no standards compliant fallback. Uh, one of the one of the good ones is uh, iBooks line hints, and then you give it a bunch of things, and then you can give it a URL to a plist file, and then a bunch more arguments. So this is like completely off the reservation, like a CSS <laughs> hint that takes as its argument a plist file. And, you know, pro, uh, Apple's property list files is XML files filled with arbitrary, you know, arbitrarily deep tree of name value pairs and arrays. And God, I can't even imagine what they're doing. So it's like, you know, they're using the, the trappings of EPUB, but the things that actually control what these books look like might as well just be completely custom code because there's no, no other web browser, EPUB reader, anything is going to be able to make heads or tails of this stuff. It is completely off the reservation, and especially the layout stuff. They have a strange language in the layout with like double colons prefixing everything where they're trying to define like boxes and stuff flowing around it and everything. It's like if you were asked to 
take like a, you know, a page maker document from way back when with like, you know, limited ability to lay stuff out uh, and say, okay, well, uh, redesign that format, but you can only use CSS, but you can make up any rules you want. Right. They, they've made up, they made up this entire language of page layout that has almost nothing to do with any existing standard. And that's what they use to lay out all their books. So if you take one of these things that's beautifully laid out and, and looks great in the new version of the, the iBooks reader application and throw it on any EPUB reader, uh, you know, can do the conversions to make it choke it down, change the file name extension, maybe move the metadata about the cover image someplace else and do some other stuff. It'll say, oh, great, I can open this. And then it will look like scrambled garbage because there's no way it can understand all these rules. So they've basically made a completely custom file format uh, using the the languages and the sort of uh, traditions, let's say, of EPUB format, but not the details of it. And I put a link in the show notes to a good article explaining some of the, some of these things. And also that same article linked to a, uh, a mailing list message to one of the CSS working group mailing lists from, I think it was March of, of 2011, saying, hey, here at Apple, here's what we're thinking of doing for laying out like custom flows of text around arbitrarily shaped objects and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, what do you guys think of that? It's kind of Apple saying, uh, you know, we're doing this. <laughs> Heads up. Like th there is actually a CSS proposal in the works and in the, the official process of making a way to have text flow around arbitrary objects and stuff like that. But Apple's not going to wait for that process to conclude or... You know, they can't wait. They're going to say, well, we, we would love to put out this iBook authoring tool, but geez, we really need to wait for the the standards for, for a CSS text flow about arbitrary objects to be nailed down. Then Apple's not going to wait on that. And so they didn't. They just gave a heads up. They said, we're thinking of doing this. Here's here's what we're thinking of doing from a technical perspective. What do you guys think? And meanwhile, I bet they would just say, oh, we're just doing this. And, and they just did it. You know what I mean? But is it, do you, are you saying this the whole thing is bad? I mean, the way you're, you're talking about it, I can't tell. Do you think it's bad? Do you think it's good? Well, do you think I'm, it doesn't I'm matter? I'm explaining what it is so people don't think that, oh, these are just EPUBs and I'll be able to easily easily convert these to EPUB. Like, people say, oh, I want to convert it to EPUB. That's kind of a meaningless statement. Do you mean you <laughs> get it to the point where, according to the spec, it's, it's exactly compliant? I don't know if the spec specifies that you can't use vendor-specific extensions in the CSS file. I mean, that's right. kind of a tradition of a CSS. But if those are used to lay out to, to make your book look the way it looks, the fact that you can get it to open in an EPUB reader means nothing. So what I, I'm trying to express is to people to understand that this thing is, the, the phrase converting to EPUB makes little sense. And if, you ha if I had to nail down an answer to that question, can I convert to this to EPUB? I would say the answer is no. Because if you take a complex iBooks thing that uses all the features of iBooks, like, and what's the point otherwise? Uh, it will be a scrambled mess elsewhere. There's no mechanical process for you to translate this. It, it, you can't even you can't even conceive of a, of a mechanical process because some of the things that it does simply aren't possible using the existing standards in uh, CSS3 or the parts of CSS3 that are supported by current browsers, right? It is basically a custom format. And I'm saying the reason they did this is because if they didn't, they would be waiting on an external entity before they could, you know, deliver the thing that they wanted to deliver. Um, and, you know, Apple doesn't like to do that. Good or bad? Um, I think it is. Well, actually, let me see if there's anything else in the forum before I talk about whether this is good or bad. Uh, the other thing I'll say is I think that if you made it like, so what if I make a simple document? It's just text. It's like it's got a title and it's got a stream of text and it breaks up into pages. Uh, what, what if I export that? Then surely that I can mechanically transform into an EPUB that works. I think it would be easier, but I, it's kind of like when 
you would save out something from Word as HTML and you'd be shocked about you look at the HTML like what the heck is this doing this was just like I just started typing with the defaults and I hit save and, and there was like three paragraphs of text and when I export HTML it's this big hairy mess it's kind of the same way and that it's going to put all that weird custom format and layout stuff in there with all its custom rules right just for the defaults just to say oh this is just a, a plain big column of text uh, so I would say don't think of this as an EPUB authoring tool. Apple doesn't think of it as that. They're not promoting it as that. But people, once they get down to details, like, oh, this is almost an EPUB. It's not. Uh, it, that's not going to happen. Now, the confusing thing about this from the perspective of uh, people who wanted a, a generic EPUB authoring tool is that in this market for, for eBooks, Apple is not the leader. I think we can all agree on that. Although every time I say that, I get a whole bunch of iBooks fans uh, emailing me and telling me how much they love iBooks and they do all the reading in iBooks and they buy everything from the iBook store. But I think we can all agree that Amazon is the current leader in the field of eBooks. Do you agree with that? I I, I think that's probably true. And, and, I mean, and, I would need to. I don't know the numbers. How do you define what a leader yeah, it's is? It's difficult because I think Apple is not for, particularly forthcoming, and Amazon, for that matter, isn't particularly forthcoming with with exact numbers. Like Amazon won't even tell you exactly how many Kindles it sold, but it'll give you ballpark. And Apple's not too big about giving you individual breakdowns of like uh, iBook sales versus free books. And right. It all ends up getting lumped into like this software services line item, which is a drop in the bucket compared to like how much money you make up. If uh, it's Apple not, if it's not Apple, John, who is it? Uh, it was not Amazon, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't think, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to say, I'm going to say for the sake of argument, but see, uh, pretend we all agree that Amazon yeah. is the leader in, in terms of sales volume. Yeah, because it's, uh, it's, it's not Apple, is it? No, and, and the, I don't know how the iBooks store is going, uh, is doing financially, but I don't, it doesn't seem like it's as big a success as it could have been. So given that if you agree that Amazon is the market leader, then you have a situation where when you have a market where there is there is a strong leader. And I think Amazon is a pretty strong leader, the Kindle brand. And, you know, certainly Amazon is leading in book sales because they still sell physical books, too. So that's one of the reasons why Amazon has such a, a big share. Someone else brings up Barnes & Noble. I think we would all agree that Barnes & Noble is also behind Amazon. Uh, oh, so definitely. given you have this this leader in the market for ebooks, usually the... The strategy that Apple has used successfully in the past and that I've seen a lot of other people use successfully is if you're not the market leader, what you do is you come in, especially in, a, in, in like a, a new market like this, you come in and you start pushing uh, open standards and you say, well, Amazon is a leader with their proprietary format that they're trying to lock you in with. But we here in the everybody been Amazon camp are strongly behind EPUB because it's an open standard. And we believe interoperability is the blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know all this stuff. Whether they're honest about it or not, this happens a lot. If you're not the market leader, you don't compete by trying to introduce your own proprietary format. You compete by getting behind a standard because you know on your own you can't, com- you, you, you can't compete. But together, everybody except for the market leader, if we band together and we all agree on EPUB and it's all interoperable, in aggregate, we may be bigger than Amazon. That's the way you overthrow, overthrow the market leader. And uh, the example that Apple, I would give for Apple doing this is when Internet Explorer was the market leader in browsers and they had all their IE specific extensions and ActiveX and all sorts of horrible things that were still recovering from <laughs> in terms of IEisms and JavaScript that people think. <laughs> right. Just the way the DOM API works. No, that's just an IE. Uh, the rest of the market said our reaction to this is not to field our own browser with our own very specific uh 
vendor specific extensions and and proprietary things or proprietary you know equivalent to ActiveX and our own crazy changes to the DOM API. So you have to do you know the the industry's reaction was to get behind standards, and Apple did that as well with WebKit. When they when, when Apple made its own browser, it didn't try to beat Microsoft at its own game. It said we're going to make a standards compliant browser, and look at us passing the ACID test and the ACID two test and whatever the different you know yeah that that was a big part of their their PR push. And and it's not it wasn't just yeah posturing. WebKit is now everywhere. Uh, you know, even Apple's sworn enemy, uh, Google, with its Chrome engine, is using WebKit, although they did do their own JavaScript engine. But the Apple pushed open standards in the web market because they felt that was the way, and everyone felt that's the only way we're ever going to overthrow the the, the the dominance of IE, which has this great advantage of shipping with Windows. We have to all get behind standards. I have expected that, that Apple was going to d- deploy that same strategy with electronic books. And when they came out with the original ebooks and they kind of used EPUB, like I remember I wrote, a, I wrote something about what I expected out of the iPad. I thought that Apple would produce a format that is uses HTML and CSS and stuff like that, but basically was its own thing. And I was kind of pleasantly surprised when they said, oh, and the first version of the iBook store, you know, uses EPUB. Of course, the once I... Uh, got to know that format and talk to people who actually use it. They're like, yeah, it's EPUB, <laughs> but uh, it's got lots of a- Apple specific extensions. And what it comes down to is like, look, if you want to do something fancy, you want it to look just so you, you code for the iBooks application on the iPad. Uh, and you don't worry about how that's going to look when you throw it into a generic e- EPUB reader. And to some degree, you can understand this because in the dawning of EPUB, there was no reference implementation like, oh, well, you should be doing it this way because in a real standards compliant EPUB reader, it'll look like X. All the readers had their own weird quirks. And it was it's kind of like the early days of web browsers where you say, oh, if you had a standards compliant web browser, there was none. You know, there was IE's weird way of working and Netscape's weird way of working. And maybe like uh, Arena for Emacs or whatever was, oh, that's the real standards compliant one. There was no, that's one of the, the problems with W3C, I think, is they never provided a reference implementation of anything. Uh that's a better way. It was, so you couldn't say you should make it standards compliant. You say, why? Nothing renders it in that way. I just need to know how it works in IE, how it works in Netscape. And that, as that ballooned, we realized what the problem was and we wanted a standards compliant engine. So then Gecko and WebKit and those things tried to be standards compliant. The acid tests and examples like that is like, look, we're going to say this is how it should look. Does your browser make it work like that? Uh, and, you know, that's how web browsers have become better. But in the early days of EPUB, there was nothing that rendered things, quote unquote, correctly, according to the purity of the e- the developing EPUB spec. Right. So I thought, well, you know, Apple's got to use this proprietary stuff a little bit like its own little extensions to EPUB because there is no reference implementation and they just want their stuff to look good. But, hey, they used EPUB. They called it EPUB. They didn't they didn't change the, you know, they say, oh, it's our special. They said, hey, we're using EPUB. This is an industry standard. Right. Now they've they've gone back on that and they've started going the other direction. I thought they would start would go a whole hog like this is EPUB three and we are the first full implementation of all of EPUB three, including the speculative parts, and we're part of that process and blah blah. blah. Instead, they just said, uh, you know what, we'll leverage that technology and our you know our CSS three extensions we have in WebKit and everything, but really we're making our own format here, and that's disappointing to me. And I think it will be. Uh, if not unsuccessful, less successful than it could have been to go the other direction and say it's going to be everybody versus Amazon. Because Amazon does have its proprietary format. It's like Mobi, which they acquired from uh, Mobi Pocket. Uh, everyone's got their own DRM, so we don't even discuss that. We're just like, yeah, you're going to put your own DRM on top of the stuff or whatever. But in terms of book production, if you're if you're making something for sale, 
everyone is behind EPUB, not because this is great format or anything, but just because it's like, geez, we don't all want to make, I got to make one thing for Amazon and I got to show a different, diff, totally different workflow and application to make it for the iBook store. And then a totally different thing if I want to download it as a PDF. We wanted like, you know, let's all get behind EPUB and then we can have this healthy ecosystem of EPUB generation tools and EPUB readers, kind of like we have this healthy ecosystem of tools that generate uh, content for the web and then we have standards compliant web browsers, right? Apple is kind of closing the door on that. And I don't know if they think, you know, we have the clout to go it on our own with our own proprietary format because our thing is so cool that people are going to want uh, to use, to, like once they see how awesome these books look and we have the hardware to back it up, our hardware is really awesome, it's really fast and we can do some really cool things. Boy, aren't they amazing. People will say, I don't really care that I have to do this entire workflow just for an iPad. Because really, the iPad isn't the only tablet that matters because it sells so much. And if we agree that books are going to be on tablets, then who cares that I, this is an entirely separate workflow? Who cares that I can't have an EPUB authoring app that lets me deploy to all the stores? Amazon isn't really helping with this either because they're like, well, we're the market leader. We're sticking to our own proprietary thing. I don't know what Amazon's plans are, but it would be an interesting move for Amazon to suddenly turn around and fully embrace EPUB. You know what I mean? Because then Apple would really be screwed. It would be like... <laughs> They're the market leader. <laughs> and look, they're being all open and everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so this is a curious move to me. And I think it's probably a mistake. It's probably going to dampen the, the chances of success of this initiative. And it reminds me a lot of a lot of people brought up like ping and stuff like that. I don't think it's as bad as ping, but it reminds me of the, the iBook store in general that. I don't know. Apple has this strange unjustified confidence in its abilities when it does stuff like this. It has justified confidence in terms of disrupting like the, the media distribution and software distribution because it's done those successfully on many different fronts. Uh, Mac software, mobile software, uh, television, movies, music. Like it, That's kind of all of a piece and it's done that well. But it, for some reason in, in, in this industry, I, don't, I think it's making the wrong moves and I think that this initiative, you're not going to suddenly see in, in 10 years, like, boy, remember when, when iBooks author came out and we thought it wasn't going to do that well, but now everyone I know when they go to school, they get all their textbooks and iBooks author. I don't think it's going to happen. And I think Apple does think that that's a possibility, which is just, I don't know if it's foolish or just false confidence or they're just trying to protect a good face. But if they had embraced an open format and uh, gone with a more open, more capable authoring tool, I think they'd have a shot at it. It would still be difficult. But as it stands now, they've just narrow themselves to a, a much smaller market uh, with uh, because this is how they want the way they wanted to go. And this is before I even get to many other objections of why this this uh, initiative uh, could possibly be a failure. Uh, the, the best one I've seen expressed uh, online, although it wasn't a series of tweets and not a blog post, although I'm sure there are blog posts out there that talk about this. Maybe KJ Healy's blog post talks about this. I haven't read it yet. Uh, are the existing... I don't know if you call them myths, uh, the existing tropes of uh, computers in school, which we've all seen for our whole life. It's like, uh, I wish I could remember something. One of them was like, kids are bored in school, therefore we have to dazzle them with an audiovisual fireworks light show, <laughs> right? Uh, kids aren't interested in math, but boy, if, it's, if we could have animated math, uh, an animated turtle on our Apple II that blinks and beeps, that will make them interested in math. Entertain the kids, right? We've seen that our whole life. Uh, education will be turned around by because the kids are bored now and we show them something flashy, they'll be entertained. Not new with the, uh, with the iPad. It's been happening our whole life. Uh, technology will solve everything. Like 
uh, a book is just a book, but boy, imagine if you could move the little, you know, dot on the line with your X squared graph and learn about it. Well, what's the current value of this point in the parabola? Wow. See, I can move it with my finger. That gives me a deeper understanding <laughs> of the subject matter. And, you know, if it's just the real barriers. These aren't these aren't textbooks. They're just so so static. And the, the capabilities that we can have with interactive media are so much better than a non-interactive one like books. Uh, and there is some truth to that. This this the kernel of truth to both all of these things. But uh, I wish I could remember a third one. There was another. Uh, can you can you think of a third one off the top of your head? These te- technology is going to solve all problem things. Mm. Besides the ones you've named now. Yeah, but, but it's it's all kind of a piece. And this has been happening during all of our lives. It's the way I don't know if it's the way people try to sell. Well, it's really it's every single new technology. That's the one that's going to change it. All of them, whatever it yeah. is, whatever happened that week, that's going to change everything. And sometimes the people like I really believe that the early Apple with their, you know, uh, the kids can't wait initiative of giving Apple twos to schools and everything. I really believe that in the dawning of the PC age, people really thought the computers were going to revolutionize education and they certainly have helped. And you could argue that they have revolutionized some aspects of it. And I, I also believe things like the Khan Academy and uh, being able to drag your little finger on the little graph of the parabola and stuff like that, that is, is good is better, but it always gets oversold. It always gets oversold. And it's difficult. Uh, the thing I didn't like about this presentation, just seeing the live blog of it and scrubbing through it a little bit is that it was just trotting out the same old things we always see. Instead of kind of, I would have liked to seen them come out and acknowledge that here's what all past uh, efforts to introduce technology in the classroom have promised, and here's what they failed to deliver, and here's why this is different. Instead, they just said, we're going to say all the same things again, and you're going to believe us again. That somehow, because of the incredible and presumably expensive high production values of this textbook with the movies and all the stuff, the turtles swimming or whatever, you know, that's going to make school better. That's going to make kids learn more. When really, I think the the advantages of technology they should have been selling are the more prosaic ones in terms of like, first, this business model, which talking about a little bit, we, they could say we have a different or better business model for, for schools that's going to help save schools money. Uh, that would be one way to come out. And the other one is just like, uh, you know, centrally manage the curriculum, keep track of who's doing what assignments, like the really boring stuff. Like, I think to actually revolutionize education with an iPad, it could be done and nothing would be seen on the screen the entire time except for black text on a white background. That's it. And you, and you tap things to jump around in it and stuff like that. Text wouldn't even have to move. No graphics, no movies, no audio visual, anything, no peer to peer social network, nothing. Just there's so many advantages in not having to use paper and to be able to manage curriculums and courses in education the traditional way, but taking advantages of, of the abilities of technology, simply the advantages they have over paper. That doesn't make for a good presentation, I guess, but I would have liked to see Apple do that pitch. They could say, yeah, we can do all these things, but really what we think what's important is it about it is that, uh, is, it, you know, it's not the flashy stuff. The flashy stuff is eating everything, but we think we, we are providing advantages to teachers and students for these concrete reasons, price, convenience, uh, and, and new abilities to manage things that had to be managed manually before. I don't like seeing all the flashy stuff. So that totally fires all the triggers in my minds of all of the uh, the uh, false presentations. Someone in the chat room is saying the last 10 minutes of the presentation were, were trying to uh, to uh, hammer on that. So uh, I, I will look at the presentation. I'll follow up next week to see if I'm wrong about the pitch. But the parts that I've seen and the complaints that, that I've seen from people who did watch the whole presentation lead me to believe that they are trotting out some pretty tired arguments. And I think that's another reason that they will not be as successful as they think, because the people they're selling to have been around the block a few times. Uh, 
And aside from a few flagship schools full of rich people who can buy iPads for everybody and can, and can afford to spend $15 on a textbook for each student every single year, uh, I'm sure the textbook sellers love that. But I don't, it's not going to, if their goal was to really revolutionize education, this is not the way to do it. Uh, to be fair to Apple, who else is doing it better? Uh, they get corralled, the textbook vendors who have the current monopoly and are not particularly motivated to change. It's not a monopoly, but they, they, I don't know. They have they have the stranglehold in the market now. Palomando in the chat room says, uh, this is what iBooks author brings to the table. Instead of using Xcode, a layman can, uh, instead of using Xcode, layman can create that caliber of books. And that's what's revolutionary about it. He said caliber, which is a dirty word in this discussion. <laughs> the, uh, one of the existing tools for doing EPUBs and everyone hates it because it's good uh so let's talk about that a little bit the let's do our second sponsor and then we'll talk about that more okay i'm assuming this is your only topic for today you assume wrong but it can be if you would like well no i mean you said you want to do a shorter show it's where i'm coming up on 60 minutes i may trim trim out i'm fine with whatever let me tell you about vidmeup.com john let me ask you this what's wrong with today's video publishing environment well let me tell you video upload length is limited there are membership restrictions. You can't personalize your video page. There's no way to make money from your work. Uh, you know, a lot of people want to make, you know, what screencasts or that that guy who did the uh, the comedy video thing. I mean, it, you, people want to sell this. There's no way easily to do that. There's no place to do that. There's no way to do that until now. VidMeUp is changing all of that. Uh, they built from the ground up, and they give you complete control over the entire broadcast process from creation to publication, to sale if you want to sell your stuff. Uh, you don't need to host your stuff on Vimeo or YouTube. These guys are all set up with the infrastructure to scale no matter what. So if your uh, video goes viral, no problem for them. And you build your own site and your site is the sharing platform. It's your videos, it's your branding. And if you want to, you can open it up. You could do like a little film festival. You can take submissions from other people, give them the ability to upload their videos just like you might do on YouTube, but it's in your site and you control it. You control the whole thing. So let me uh, tell you a little bit about this. Even at the free level, you get HTML5 video support for your iPhones, your iPads, whatever. They've got cloud-based video hosting. They've got streaming. They've got built-in SEO. They've got social network sharing buttons. They've got private... Pl- I mean, you, you name it, they've thought of it. They've built it in. So it doesn't matter if you're a filmmaker, if you're a web publisher, if you just want to get a video that you think is cool out there to the world. This is what you do. You go to vidmeup.com, vid meup.com and you use the promo code five by five within the first 30 days of signing up you get 20 percent off the lifetime of uh of your paid account so uh check them out vidmeup.com very cool site i used a uh video site whose name i won't mention to put up videos for one of my mac os 10 reviews and was disappointed to see that years later when i go back to view it it says this video has been removed oh. from the you know it's like it's kind of like the implied social contract of if there's some established video site that doesn't go out of business, you assume any video you put up there is going to stay, stay there, there forever. Yeah. There's lots of weird rules about, and the rules change about, oh, we don't want this kind of video on our site anymore, so we're removing it all. I mean, in, mine, in my case, uh, it was either one of them might have been a screencast type thing, and the other one was, I think, just like a, a keynote animation turned into a QuickTime movie, and they just decide, oh, we don't want screencasts on our site. So it's like a new rule, and suddenly it goes away. Yeah. It annoys me. So uh, at iBooks as a tool empowering people to be able to make books like that they couldn't before. I, this, uh, I, this is strange. I heard Andy talking about this too. 
it's not as if in the past there were no tools for people to make like page layout programs exist. Desktop publishing has existed for a long time, right? And I say, well, but now they can make an ebook. But what good is that ebook if it only runs on the iPad, right? I would much rather make a web page, have a tool, and there are lots of good tools for this for making a cool looking web page. Because then you say, like, I'm making an HTML page. This is going to be doable for a long time. I would not, uh, someone might have mentioned on one of the shows or somewhere, I saw someone saying, well, this would be a great tool for scrapbooking. Like, I'll be able to make a scrapbook of like family events or like memories or whatever, or a Christmas memory or a holiday thing or a yearly thing. And I'll put my family memories. Don't put your family memories in, in a .ibooks file. That file is probably not going to be readable and, you know, when you want to see it when you're old and gray, right? If you put it in an HTML file with some tool that does, you know, standard compliant HTML with like images and text, really all you want to do is images and text and maybe a movie. You can do all that in HTML. That is a much safer place for your memories than in an iBooks file. Or the other alternative is make a paper book. And you can do that from iPhoto and have the thing printed out and then put it on your shelf, you know? Uh, so... I'm not particularly enthusiastic about this being like an amazing new tool that allows people to make real live books, real live textbooks, because you can't print these to paper. And what you're making them is just a particular format for a particular store on a particular device. It's so narrowly defined. Uh, not that I, you know, it's almost better if you make a PDF, because at least you can print it or something, or, or you know it'll be viewable forever. I'd, that's why I think this, this initiative is, I think they're just going about this the wrong way. Uh, I kind of feel for them and the, they have to they have to come up with an arrangement that's amenable to the people who own this market now. They can't just go in, uh, as it was discussed in previous shows, in the Steve Jobs biography, the Isaacson biography, they had that section of Steve Jobs saying he wants to disrupt the, uh, the textbook industry and that's right for disruption. And he wants to give away free books, uh, uh, you know, have the books written and have them free as long as you buy iPads. And... Uh, a lot of people uh, complained about that when I referenced it on Twitter. Like, oh, yeah, like those books are going to write themselves like they're free. Like uh, content is worth nothing. Uh, I think they're missing the point. The idea would be that Apple would take the the tremendous profits from selling iPads. Tremendous profits. Look at their earning statements. There's a lot of money, okay? I know it's expensive to produce a textbook, but they have like billions of dollars of profit, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, they got enough money to do a textbook. Take some of that money, pay for the best textbook you could possibly imagine to be created, and then say, hey, school, if you buy, you know, 10,000 iPads, we'll give you an entire curriculum's worth of uh, worth of material for free. Like there we, we just want to sell you the iPads and we are going to subsidize the cost of all the super high quality content. We'll get the best textbook writers in the world and everything uh, to write our stuff. So and that was what Steve Jobs presented in the book. Uh, and that sounds like, uh, you know, a, an interesting idea. Now, remember something else, which I also mentioned on Twitter that he that he mentioned in the book was that when they originally made the iPhone, he said, these phone carriers, I hate these guys. They're bozos. <laughs> Can we do an iPhone and not have to deal with cell networks? Right. Can we? And he's just it's like, I'm just spitballing here. But can we like do a Wi-Fi phone or something or whatever? <laughs> like we all want a cell phone where you don't have to deal with a cell carrier because we all hate the cell carriers. And this is Steve's original idea. Let's, we're going to do a phone, and Apple phone's not going to suck, so we certainly can't get involved with these stupid cell carriers that everybody hates. And but the engineers had to come back. So that's a non-starter. You can't, you can't have a cell phone that just uses Wi-Fi. People need to be able to call from when their car breaks down on the side of the road, you know. And so Steve's had to go. All right, I guess we can, you know, we'll go to singular, and you know, like. So I would imagine that Steve's first idea for the textbook industry, industry is these guys are all bozos. They got a lock on this market. It's all tied up with local politics and corruption and BS. And they're doing a crappy job and they don't understand technology. We don't want to deal with them at all. Let's just make let's just hire our own people 
and pay them tons of money to make awesome textbooks and give them because that'll be such a drop in the bucket compared to how much money we make off iPads. And it totally is. You know, let's set aside one billion dollars a year for textbooks. Do we think that's enough to make some good textbooks? I think it is. Right. And let let that have a sell a tremendous number of additional iPads. Like just every school in the world will be buying iPads because they'll they'll just do the the math and say, if we buy one student, you know, we spend uh, someone was saying they spend like six hundred dollars per student. Uh, but that that is like a spread out over, you know, you buy a set of books in the last five years. But when you do the math, it still ends up being like six hundred dollars a student. Well, say you spend three hundred dollars a student because that's the education discount of the iPad three, you know, or something like that. And you, you got to think Apple's going to drive down the price of iPads, right? Three hundred dollars per student per year. And at the end of the year, this, the kids get to keep them like we give them the iPads like we don't even try to reuse them. And we get all the textbook content for free and it's awesome content. Schools would be like, sign me up. We're saving a tremendous amount of money and we get to be all cool and whizzy and have iPads, right? But the barrier to that is kind of like the barrier to the carrierless iPhone. Well, reality is not, you know, uh, reality has something to say about that. And in reality, I would imagine is all the same hurdles to textbook sales and the Texas school board and the people who currently control this and the, and the current interests of, you know, the people that the, all the people they had up on stage in this presentation, Pearson and McMillan and stuff like that. Those guys aren't just going to roll over and let you do this. Uh, so the reality is they had to deal with these guys and this is the, the deal they came up with. And I don't think it's an attractive enough deal to anyone involved that it's going to be a smashing success. It's not particularly attractive to the schools because they're not saving tons of money. I guess it's attractive to the people who they're partnering with because they think they will be making more money. My, my understanding is that they're, there is a much more potential for recurring revenue. Uh, the, the textbook vendors really hated the, the fact that they sell to you these books and the books last a long time. And then they're sitting there tapping their fingers going, uh, so when are you going to buy some new books? And like, oh, these ones we have are working fine. Uh, are you sure about that? I mean, I'm surprised they don't have plants in the school encouraging kids to destroy books. Uh, they, they would like the electronic version and say, oh, it's, it's each student every year. You just pay five bucks or 10 bucks or 15 bucks, but you got to pay that every year. Recurring revenue. We love it, you know? Uh, but we don't. Who cares if it's good for those guys? That's like saying the iPhone is good for carriers because it it, uh, it gave them more money per customer because the uh, iPhone users all had data plans and stuff like that. That's true, but we didn't really care about that. It's not particularly good for those of us who are into electronic publishing and stuff. Because now it's just one more format to to target, and you can do some interesting things with that. But it's not the uh, ebook authoring suite to, that everyone wanted. Uh, the the only party I think that is coming out of this ahead. Uh, I saw from a couple of independent developers uh, around the net that they were thinking of making a GUI application to make EPUBs, uh, but the, but no one wanted to go near that because they knew Apple was was doing something in this area. But now that Apple has, has announced what they've done, those indie developers are like, hey, we can actually do this because it looks like Apple doesn't have any interest whatsoever in this market. So if some independent Mac uh, person w- makes a truly good standards-compliant EPUB-generating application where you can take any EPUB any standards compliant EPUB, throw it on there, edit it, and you know, edit it in place and save it out. So it's not just you know export only, and it's all standards compliant, and it tries to be viewable in as many different places as possible. I know many people in, in that industry who would snap that up, and it's not the type of thing where it's like, oh, it's Microsoft Word. Every worker in the United States is going to buy a copy, but it is something where an indie Mac developer or a small Mac developer company with a few employees, that's a big business for them. You know what I mean? Uh, so that's the only the only silver lining here is that I think the field is now wide open for independent Mac developers to make a kick-ass EPUB development environment and platform because certainly Caliber is not satisfying the people who are in the industry and the other tools that are available. And like I said, Amazon Amazon has some plays here. Amazon can stick to what it's got. Uh, it could have I forget what the Kindle format is. is the Kindle format based on uh, the the Kindle Fire 
format? Do they have some new format that you're able to uh, do fancier stuff with? I don't know. But their the Moby's format is ancient. Uh, like the the Kindle can read uh, PRC files, which is like a Palm yeah. thing from you know, and and text files, and it can view PDFs a little bit. But well, the Kindle, the kin- I think you're talking about KF8 or Kindle format eight. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, yeah. I, I know I know that it does a whole lot of other things that. You know, because it supports HTML5 and CSS3 and fixed layouts and embedded fonts and all that stuff. But it's not EPUB. No, it's not EPUB. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that all it, all these book technologies are like, look, they don't want to reinvent the wheel. They all, once HTML became standardized and powerful, especially CSS, they all leverage that to build their formats on top of, right? Uh, and then it's just kind of arguing about the details of like what are the files called and where right. do you put the cover image and where do you put the metadata and what format do you put the metadata in and how do you give hints about, you know. Uh, if I found a link for the Kindle format described, I'll throw it into the uh, into the show notes. Yeah. But, for for so, those who are curious about the in, the ins and outs of how this thing works. Someone in the chat room also brought up the, uh, do you remember uh, Push Pop Press? Remember those guys? Oh, yeah. So they made uh, a book, Al Gore's book, Our Choice, which I'm assuming was some environmental thing. I never actually looked at it. Uh, it was an it is, it is. They build themselves as Al Gore's choice. Yeah. And, and it was an iPad app, uh, a native app. Yeah. And it did amazing stuff with interactivity. And it was kind of like an interactive experience more than a book. And it was very interesting. This was uh, the company that uh, Mike Mattis, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He was a, he was a designer for uh, the work with Will Shipley at Delicious Monster. And then he went to work for Apple, uh, designing many of the graphics that we see every day on our iPhones and in other contexts. Uh, and then he left Apple to go on his own and did this Push Pop Press thing. And then Facebook brought out Push Pop Press. He had a tweet uh, today saying that, it, uh, I forget what it was. It was some sort of kind of snarky tweet about how even though he doesn't work at Apple, it looks like his design is still influencing the company. Because a lot of the demos for Apple's textbooks look a lot, a lot like the demos they had for uh, Push Pop Press stuff. Which is true. But, you know, I don't think, I don't know, I don't, I don't feel bad that Apple's like stolen his idea or something because A, he's already moved on and Facebook has bought them out and he's doing something entirely different to Facebook, I assume. And B, this is not the first time we've seen interactive books where you can like do stuff in them. And he did a particularly nice one that's true, but Apple's using HTML and he was using native apps and it's all very different. So I don't, I don't think he has any reason to be bitter, but he might have just been kidding. So I think that's all I have to say on this iBooks author thing. I, I'm generally disappointed in it. Uh, I think they they went the wrong way here, and I really think Amazon could shock the world if they fully embraced EPUB EPUB three uh, to like cement their lead. Because Apple has Apple is stumbling here, and they can go in for the kill by going the other direction and say, you know what, we're going to support our old Kindle formats, and we're always going to have our own DRM and everything, but we are fully supporting going forward EPUB three, and they just need a partner. Or maybe they'll do it themselves. God knows Amazon is not afraid to enter markets to make really great authoring tools for a standard format. You know, everyone is looking for that. Part of the reason the music business took off so big is because we had MP3 or even AAC. We had formats that preceded the explosion of the market. So there wasn't like, you know, Sony tried to do it with it. Attrack, A-T-R-A-C or something, making it proprietary formats. The fact that everyone can kind of agree, well, MP3 works everywhere. They're MP3 players. MP3, even MP3 works on iPods, even though Apple's doing AAC, which is also an open standard. MP3 works everywhere. So there's no arguing over formats. And the EPUB world has always been hindered, or the EPUB world, the ebook world has always been hindered by the million different formats. And it's better for everybody. And it's a tide that will lift all boats if we could just not keep arguing about 
the, the stupidity of different formats and stuff and switch to arguing about the stupidity of different DRMs, I guess. But that's still an improvement. So Amazon can make, as the market leader, Amazon can make that happen. Uh, and I really hope they do. Uh, as it's clear that Apple's not not going to there. So I, I predict boring, mediocre things for Apple's uh, iBook author's effort. Apple, feel free to prove me wrong. A year from now, what, what are we going to see? Uh, a new version of this that is better and makes, uh, and at the very least, I would hope they would make something that you can, God, I don't even know. Like, do they even want to make something you can view on the iPhone? Obviously, they're going to improve the authoring app and they're going to improve the capabilities and they're going to remove bug, bugs and everything. And maybe they'll alter the, the pricing structure and stuff like that. But I don't, this is going to be at best a hobby for them. At best. It almost makes me think like, it's like a sentimental project because it's the last one, one of the last ones that Steve really wanted to do. I'm like, well, we'll do it. And we'll do it the way he wanted to do it. But I do not predict good things. Oh, I, one thing I forgot to talk about that I'm surprised the chat room hasn't been yelling at me to talk about is uh, the license agreement. I know you talked about this with Andy. <laughs> this is another reason that I think they're heads up their butt. It, it, any any, uh, any iBooks file you make with this can only be sold through Apple Store according to the license agreement on the software. Sold. Not distributed, yeah. but sold. You can give it away for free to whoever you want. Right. But if you decide, I've made this file, and if you send me $5 in the mail in an envelope... I will put the file on a floppy disk and send it to you. You can't do that. <laughs> right. According to the license agreement, you can. But could they buy a, a, a T-shirt from you and, you know, this is included? No, it seemed there, there was a, <laughs> in the fact, it was like, if you have any subscription service, like I was thinking of it from Ars Technica's perspective, Ars Technica sells subscriptions and part of the benefits of the subscriptions, you could downloadable versions of many of the articles. So you right. can get it in a PDF format, an EPUB. So say you pay Ars Technica for a subscription and can then, as part of your subscription, should you be able to download uh, iBooks format versions of articles? I think that's against Apple's rules, too. They would say, oh, no, if you do any subscription service or anything like that, or it's bundled as part of a subscription, if you're making any money off things that you produce with this free tool of ours, then nah, you have to go through us, right? I don't know about the legal implications of that, whether it is legal. I don't know about the enforcement implications. Could, could you possibly enforce this? Well, actually, I do know about that. It's impossible to enforce 100%, obviously, like anything that happens on the internet. But you don't care about 100%. You just care, like, you can't build a business on this. It, you know, that's that's what they've done. They basically said, look, it's a free tool. We're giving it away for free. If you want to make money off it, we need to cut. Take it or leave it. I think that's a silly move, too. I don't think it's evil. I just think it's dumb. You know, people are like, oh, it's crazy. It's like if, if you bought Microsoft Word and they said anytime you sell any content in a Microsoft Word format that we have to get a cut. So Harry Potter was written in Microsoft Word and, the, and Microsoft will get a cut of, you know, it, Apple's not saying it owns your novel. They're saying they that they need a cut if you sell an iBooks version of your novel. You can copy and paste that text out of to Word and then, you know, send it to your editor and have them print it up or make an EPUB or whatever. But use our app. You make it in this format. That's why it's our format. It's not an EPUB. You make it in our format. We need a cut. Really dumb, silly. I mean, given that they've already screwed up so badly by by making you only be able to make things for their store, this is just icing on the cake. It doesn't. I guess it doesn't really limit you anymore. Because realistically, what were you going to do with that anyway? You're going to sell it individually on your website and say you need an iPad for it? Uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just silly. Uh, and again, I I understand the. 
why they felt like they had to do this. Uh, because you can make cooler looking books when you're not constrained by being standards compliant. But it's not like they're saying, well, we really wanted to do it the right way, but uh, the reality forced us to do it slightly in a different way, but we're trying to converge on uh, on an open environment. We're trying to converge on that, you know, Amazon's the proprietary bad guy, and we're going. the rest of the industry is going to standardize an EPUB, and we're going to make a great EPUB authoring suite. And by the way, if you make EPUBs, with specific extensions, they'll look great on the iPad too, but really you can make generic EPUBs out of that. They're not doing that. It's clear they're not doing that, and I think that's a mistake. So what do you think? What do I think about what you just said or the entire issue, or what do I think about this as far as the show? But all that wrapped in one. I mean, I do have another topic here. I've, I have Wikipedia that I want to talk about, but I think it's probably too long. And if I really do want to do get a show that's not too long, this is where we should cap yeah, it. This would be the self restraint that you would need to show. Yeah, I, I have that restraint. I will save Wikipedia for another day because okay. I don't think there's any way I can talk about that. Oh, and look at that! Look at that lurking under Wikipedia. I've got ReFS. You know about that? ReFS. R E F S. Yeah, it's like ZFS, but you have a speech impediment. <laughs> this is reliable. On disk uh, file system, on disk structures, right? Resilient file system. Resilient, okay. It's a new initiative as part of Windows 8. And I want to talk about that, but not today. Okay. So tomorrow, or next week, Wikipedia and ReFS. A lot of people have asked about ReFS, and I've been reading up on it. It's very interesting. And what do I think about this textbook thing, this iBooks author? Yeah, you do, know, do I, I mean, sound more down on it than other people are? Other people sound more excited than me. I well, think. I think I think the people who are really excited about it you know, I think Andy dispelled a lot of that yesterday when he created a book and sent me the book and said, you know, this is this is what it is, but it imposes all of these limitations. It imposes this structure. It really is for creating textbooks, this version of it. And that, you know, pages remains as a, perhaps a better way if you just want to flow some text and get it into an e-reader, use pages. Pages is not a great ebook development platform either i can tell you that from no experience I, of, I know yeah. it's not yeah but and, and maybe it's, it's more applicable you're saying pages is the the preferable <laughs> alternative for certain people than the awesome new application they gave right from. yeah so someone in the chat room asked about sopa the reason none of us in the does anyone talked about sopa we're all against it yeah, yeah that's a simple <laughs> that's why we never talk about there's it. Like, there's nothing to discuss it's stupid right. and yeah that uh, was the, we just did the sopa discussion yeah we had it <laughs> all right so that's Fun it stuff. john yeah all right you sure it's weird sure. i feel it feels feels a little weird i know well it's a good feeling no it's exciting all right have a good week john you too man mm-hmm.